Morning, Faith Family. It's good to see you. Say hello to those in our live venue. If you have your Bible, would you turn to Acts chapter 17? Acts 17 is where we're going to be this morning. Can you believe that it was last September that we started our series in the book of Acts? And we've been going through this uh, pretty rapid pace. We're now into chapter 17. We're going to wrap this up over the next few weeks. We've got a series that we want to do to kind of lead us into Easter. Uh, and so uh, we've been challenging our faith family to be on mission. This is a really important time in the life of our church. We've got big decisions to make, and uh, we just really felt like we needed to go through a book like Acts to show us how big the mission is and uh, to challenge us to think big, think wide uh, in terms of our gospel impact. And so um, let's continue on in that uh, series this morning with Acts 17. If you can stand, please do so uh, for the honor of reading God's Word. We're going to look at uh, verse 16 through the rest of the chapter. Uh, But uh, let's just read down through verse 21. Luke's writing here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. These words are breathed out by God. As Luke writes, Now while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. Some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he's preaching Jesus and the resurrection. They took him and brought him to the Areopagus saying, may we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting? You bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know therefore what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this time that we have now to uh, turn to your word. And I pray that, um, that you would do something supernatural here this morning. Lord, I I pray that your Holy Spirit would invade this place, that it would invade our hearts. And I I ask that uh, as a result of what you teach us from your word, that we would change and the way we see our surroundings would change for the sake of the mission. In Jesus' name, and God's people said, amen. You can be seated. I don't... I don't cry very often, but that night I couldn't hold back the tears. In fact, I would say that aside from the day when I trusted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior, it's probably the day that impacted me spiritually more than any other. It happened 16 years ago. I, along with a few other pastors, had the opportunity to go to the Middle East And we got to meet with and have dinner with and just interact with missionaries who were doing ministry in Muslim contexts. In fact, one of our stops along the journey was Amman, Jordan. And there in Amman, Jordan, I had the opportunity to share my testimony and and, uh, present the gospel to some Muslim teachers there at a school. It was an incredible experience. And later that day, we hiked up to the highest point in the city. It's called the Citadel. And you can look out over the entire landscape. And what you notice is house upon house stacked on top of each other, like literally thousands and thousands of people 
in a single view. And then the sun started to go down. Nightfall was setting in. And I looked around the cities and I could see the mosque that looked like these little green lighthouses beginning to shine. And there was this green glow everywhere you looked. And then it happened. There was a noise so loud that everything stood still. And for the next several moments, all I could hear was this. Muslim call to prayer. Over and over and over again, Allah is God. Allah is God. And up until that point in my life, I knew intellectually that there were lost people in the world, but in that moment, I felt lostness. You see, friends, I believe that the Bible teaches that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that nobody goes to the Father but by Him, which means that in that moment, millions of people were praying in total vanity, no cross, no Christ, no hope, and the weight of that came crashing down on my soul, and I couldn't hold back the tears. Have you ever felt anything like that? What I mean is, have you ever experienced a moment where reality became so real that you felt it? Like you felt it in your bones. Like it finally set in that your loved one is gone. It finally set in that the marriage is over. Or positively, it it finally set in that I'm, I'm a dad. But in that moment, what switched in you was you went from theory to reality and you felt it. If you've ever felt that before, then you know exactly how Paul feels in Acts 17. Verse 16. Now while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him. Paul's in Athens. He did not intend to be in Athens. This was not on his itinerary. He's here because of the persecution he faced in Thessalonica and Berea. He's alone. 
He's waiting for Silas and Timothy to show up, and he finds himself in one of the most influential cities in all the Roman Empire. Here's what we know about where Paul went. Athens was the philosophical center of the day. Human reason, logic, knowledge was the focal point of society. I mean, already before this point of Acts 17, some of the greatest intellectuals came out of Athens, names that you will be familiar with. Socrates. I sometimes will say Socrates because of Bill and Ted's excellent adventure, right? His uh, student, Plato. After Plato came Aristotle. One of the greatest Greek philosophers of them all was a man by the name of Lloyd Christmas. A little place called Athens where the beer flows like wine, right? Okay, so maybe Lloyd Christmas wasn't in that category, but you've heard of all those other ones? Great intellectual minds and philosophers. That's Athens. Not only that, it had some of the greatest universities of the Roman Empire. You you had the the Academy of Plato. You had the, the Garden of Epicurus. You had the Porch of Zeno. In fact... Athens had one of the top three universities in all of the Roman Empire. And then there was the crown jewel. Oh, the the prized possession, the Parthenon. Anybody ever been to the Parthenon? The real one? I've had the opportunity to go. Uh, It's a little little taller than I am. Uh, This... (laughs) massive monument, this massive temple that was dedicated to the goddess Athenia. I can put two and two together. Athenia, Athens. Athens is named after the goddess of Athenia. And what do we know about the goddess of Athenia? She's the goddess of human wisdom. The point, you see, friends, is all the great intellects, all the great universities, the very Parthenon itself, that that Athens was this place of great knowledge and education and philosophy. But it was more than that. It was also a pagan city, one filled with any pleasure you could imagine. Look at verse 18. Some of the Epicurean philosophers also conversed with him. Epicureans. They were ironically followers of Epicurus, and Epicurus taught there's no afterlife. This is all you got. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you will die. Dave Matthews won nothing. There's nothing after this. In fact, let me illustrate Epicurean thought with a famous scene from Dead Poet Society. Take a look. Not that different from you, are they? Same haircuts, full of hormones, just like you. Invincible, just like you feel. The world is their oyster. They believe they're destined for great things, just like many of you. Their eyes are full of hope, just like you. Did they wait until it was too late to make from their lives even one iota of what they were capable? Because you see, gentlemen, these boys are now fertilizing daffodils. If you listen real close, you can hear them whisper their legacy to you. 
Go on, lean in. Listen. You hear it? Carpe diem. Seize the day. Gather ye rosebuds while ye may. If you prefer a simpler version, there's Wayne's World. Party on Garth. Party on Wayne. Or the great Southern philosopher, a man by the name of Ron Wyatt, who also goes by the name Tater Salad, says this, if life gives you lemons, make lemonade and find someone whose life has given them vodka and have a party. <laughs> That's Epicureanism. Since there is no afterlife, tonight we're going to party like it's 1999. Live for now, because that's all you got. It is a philosophical center. It's a pagan city because of the Epicurean influence, but it's also a very pluralistic society. Look back at verse 18. Some of the Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. Stoicism came out of the teachings of Zeno. He taught that uh, mind was more important than matter. Follow me. The idea is this, your body is bad, but your mind or what you believe, which is within you, is good. So life is not meant to be enjoyed. It's meant to be endured until your mind, good, will one day be released from your body, bad. So you need to avoid things like sex and love and pleasure. Those things are bad because they're bodily passions. What matters is the truth inside you. You see, if Epicureanism would say, live however you want, there ain't no afterlife. Stoicism would say, believe whatever you want because the mind within you is all that matters. And then there's one more. Athens was a polytheistic society. In fact, it is estimated here in Acts chapter 17 that there are some 30,000 idols. Some 30,000 false gods. Let me bring that into our world. This is the mall of America of religious preference. Now, I say all that and here's our struggle right here. Here's our struggle. It's very difficult for us to relate to all this because we don't live in Athens. 
I mean, there's nobody here today that understands or has experienced what it's like to live in a culture where education is worshipped and valued as an essential part of life. That's foreign to us. We can't even imagine living in a culture that says, you ought to live for the moment and live for now. Like, we totally can't relate to that. I mean, we don't know what it's like to live in a culture where there's philosophers that say truth is internal and private and you can believe whatever you want to believe. I can't even imagine what it's like to live in a culture that says there are many different religions and many different gods, so why can't we all just get along? I'm sorry. Was I just talking about Athens? Or America. In fact, the whole reason why I took your time to lay out all that background is for this point. America is the modern day expression of Athens. The mantra of our culture is get a good education, enjoy life while you can, and believe whatever works for you. Welcome to Athens. We are called to the same mission Paul was called to in Acts 17. And if we're going to embrace that mission, we're going to have to do what Paul did. So what did Paul see that we need to see if we're going to be on mission? Verse 16. Now while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, now we know all that's behind that word, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. That phrase he saw isn't just he observed The Greek is the idea of discernment. So Paul doesn't just walk into Athens and go, oh, cool, look at all the idols. I'll get out my camera phone and just take some uh, pictures. No, what Luke's trying to say is that Paul discerned. His mind was never idle. Did you like what I did there? He was always engaged in thinking not just about what's on the outside, but what's behind the curtain. In other words, Paul did not just see a physical appearance. He saw a spiritual attachment. He saw a city given over to idol worship. But here's the problem. The Athenians would not have described their city that way. You walk into town, they're not going to say, we're glad you're here, would you like to see all of our idols? What they're going to say is, would you like to see our art? Would you like sex? You want to go to the Areopagus and have a debate about knowledge? But Paul saw behind it. And what he saw behind it was that these were not just things people enjoyed, it's what they worshipped. And that's huge. Because it helps us understand this, that an idol is simply anything that you worship more than God. An idol 
is anything that you worship more than God. And like the Athenians, we don't call them idols. We call them sports. We call them fashion. We call them just having a good time with our friends. This is a big one in Minnesota. We call it family. Listen. Good things. Good things that if we're not careful will become ultimate things. That is what we live for, what we desire most, or what we seek satisfaction in. All affections that belong ultimately to God and yet are given to God's. And Paul saw it. He saw right through it. Can you? Can you discern the culture around you? Can you discern those things that grip your own heart? When when you watch a movie, when you read a book, when you listen to the advice of friends, do you have any idea what worldview is behind it? Let me give you an illustration of this. The, the big movie out the last few months has been the movie Star Wars. I've seen it four times, all right? Can anybody beat me, right? I love Star Wars. Love Star- man, I grew up, any of y'all like me grew up on Star Wars? Like, listen, man, I, I so wanted to be Luke Skywalker. I would hang upside down on a tree trying to get rocks to fly to me, right? Like using the force. I'm not making that up. Like, I really did that. I so wanted to be Luke Skywalker, and for full transparency, I thought Princess Leia would make a perfect pastor's wife. I just did. I did. I'm just telling you. I'm serious. Like, there is nothing more attractive and modest than hair buns. Tell you what. And so you can imagine my dilemma when I want to be Luke Skywalker, I got a crush on Leia, and then I find out they're brother and sister. And then it hits me, I'm from Tennessee, so it doesn't matter. (laughs) Nobody will even care. The state slogan of Tennessee is Tennessee, where you can be your own grandpa. I mean, it's just... Nobody will think a thing. (laughs) Nothing like a good old incest joke at church, all right? (laughs) So listen, listen, I love Star Wars. And the big cultural movie today is Star Wars. But do you have any idea the worldview behind Star Wars? That the force comes out of Eastern mysticism. That the idea that all is one and light and dark are equal are contrary to the Christian worldview. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying avoid culture. Hello, I've seen the movie four times. I'm not saying avoid the culture. I am saying wake up and discern it. Why do you think living together and sleeping together and putting off marriage and family so you can build your individual career and accepting Homer Simpson versions of manhood are common not just within the culture, but within Christian culture? It's because we see, but we don't see. 
We are like fish that never stop to examine the water in which we swim. And it's why when I say what the Bible says, people will often say about us, you bring strange things to our ears. Wake up, faith family, and see the idols that are around you. And particularly the ones that have a hold on you. Paul discerned the idols of Athens. Do we discern the idols of America? Paul not only saw a city full of idols, he saw something else. Look at verse 19. He saw a people full of questions. And they took him and they brought him to the Areopagus. That's the place of the debate saying, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. I'd love to camp out here for a while, but I just want to make one simple and quick point. It's this. Isn't it interesting that a people of 30,000 idols are still searching for more? You'd think 30,000 would be enough. And therein lies a profound point. The problem with false gods is that they're false. Is they keep promising you things and you keep buying it even though they'll never deliver. And we're left like the Athenians chasing after something new hoping maybe that will be the one. And there are people all around us, we walk by them every day and they are, they are drowning in the ocean of unfulfilled promises because they eat every day at the idle buffet and yet walk away hungry. And some of them are here right now. Let me tell you where your idol is going to take you. Isaiah 46, verses 1 and 2. Bel bows down. Nebo stoops. Those are Babylonian gods. Their idols are on beasts and livestock. These things you carry are born as burdens. That's why some of you are so tired. They stoop. They bow down together. They cannot save the burden, but themselves go into captivity. You think sex, which is a good thing, will bring you ultimate fulfillment, and it leads you to addiction. You think money, which is a good thing, will ultimately fulfill you, and it ends up ruining family relationships. You think having a perfect spouse, which is a good thing to have a spouse, and yet your marriage is crushed underneath the those expectations, and you think success, which is perfectly fine, will ultimately satisfy you, and it ends up bringing shallow relationships with your children. Your idol keeps saying to you, come on, come on, I'll give you what your heart wants. But it leaves you hungry in the morning. And Paul saw it. Where did he go? He went to Athens. 
What did he see? A city full of idols and a people full of questions. And what did he feel? Verse 16. Now while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him. His spirit was provoked within him. That phrase in the Greek is the fact that that's used, that word provoked, it's used in the Old Testament uh, to describe God's response to Israel's sin. It, it, it is this, it's a mixture between righteous anger and deep sadness. In other words, Paul didn't see all the idols and laugh. It broke his heart. He felt the weight of it. His spirits provoked. When is the last time we've wept for the condition of America? When is the last time that we've been provoked in our spirit about the condition of our families? The problem is we're like the guy that works at the funeral home. Before long, it's just another dead body. We're so numb to the reality. And faith family, hear me. I would submit to you that mine and your lack of spiritual brokenness is nothing more than a sign that we lack spiritual discernment. In other words, we don't feel anything because we don't see it how it is. And until we see it for what it is, it'll never provoke our spirits. And in the meantime, I'll keep laughing at what I should cry over and I'll keep playing with what I should pray for and I'll keep participating in what I should abstain from. Paul went to Athens and he saw a city full of idols and it broke him. So what did he do? Here's what he did. He... Uh, lost his temper, started a boycott against Athens, demanding that the government be shut down. That's not what he did. What he did was he got so overwhelmed with all the many idols that he said, this mission's impossible, so he quit and went home. He didn't do that either. Let's let Luke tell us what he did. Verse 17 so he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. Do you know what Paul did? He engaged. He went to the religious places he went to the marketplaces. That's not the supermarket, though it could be the supermarket in our day. The marketplace in Athens would have been the place of daily affairs. It's where you go to trade things. You do business transactions. You, you watch a, a theater. Uh, you have a debate. It, it's where people are doing daily life. In other words, Paul engaged 
with people every day on mission. Do we? Howard Schultz, the founder of uh, Starbucks, wrote in his book, Pour Your Heart Into It, as to why he founded Starbucks. In addition to, to selling expensive coffee, he founded Starbucks for this reason, to quote, restore the street corners of America. He wanted to create a place where people would sit down and talk. And the reality is we have coffee shops and hair salons and ball games and opportunities around us every day to engage with people. What in the world do we talk about? Paul Simon wrote this. We speak of things that matter with words that must be said. Can analysis be worthwhile? Is the theater really dead? You're a stranger now to me, lost in the dangling conversation and the superficial size in the borders of our lives. I would submit to you the problem is not that we talk too little. It's that what we talk about is insignificant. We have been given the greatest news in the world. Talk about it. For the kingdom of God is like a sower who sows seed. Oh, in your rush to get out the door in the morning, don't leave your bag at home. Where did he go, Athens? What did he feel? What did he see? Idols? What did he feel? Brokenness? What did he do? He engaged What did he say? And we'll close. Look at Paul's gospel conversation with the Athenians, which gives us a great way, a great model for how we can share the gospel with other people. Now, this is a brief summary in verse 22 and following. Uh, The typical debates at the Areopagus would have gone two to three hours. I wish they'd let me preach that long. Um, it's Terry Foss's fault. Uh, if you'd please email him about that. Um, here's a summary of what Paul said. Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive in every way you're very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship is unknown, this I proclaim to you. This is awesome. What Paul did is he started with what they knew. He started with what, he just opened his eyes, observed their lifestyle, and started with what they knew. Let me translate that for us in all, our culture. I see that you're involved in sports. I see that you have grandchildren. I, I see that you have a family. I see that you shop here every week like I do. It's starting where people are and what they know and leading the conversation to what they don't know. Look at verse 24. Namely, what they believed about the gods and how different that is to belief in the one true living God. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. In other words, your gods are created, but the one true and living God is creator. Next verse. Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, 
since He Himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. In other words, your gods need to be bartered with. They're served with human hands. The one true and living God is not bartered with. He's just gracious. He gives us all things to life to mankind. Your gods are tit for tat. Scratch their back, they'll scratch your back. Our God, the true God, is just a gracious God who gives. Next verse. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling places. In other words, your gods are not involved in the affairs of man. The one true and living God is involved in history. He's personally involved. And then lastly, verse 27, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way towards Him and find Him. In other words, your gods can't be known personally, but let me tell you some great news. The one true and living God, you can know Him. You can know Him, but there's a problem. The problem is your idols are an expression of your rebellion to Him. Verse 29, being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. In other words, the one true and living God, He can't be like shrunk down to something made by our hands, by our imagination. The problem is we have created gods. We have pursued other things to satisfy us. We have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God because you are to have no other gods before Him. So here's what you must do. Verse 30. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now He commands all people everywhere to repent. You have sinned against God because you have turned to other things and away from God. But today, oh, today, oh, listen today. If you would turn from your gods, from your idols, from your own created things to the Creator and repent He will receive you. And you need to do that because there is a day coming. Verse 31. He has fixed a day on which He will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom He has appointed. You will stand not before a whole bunch of gods. You will stand before the true God. And in that day, the only way you can be right with Him is through Jesus Christ. Last phrase, verse 31. Of this, He has given assurance to all by raising Him from the dead. That's the gospel! Paul, yeah, we can be excited about that. Uh, Where did Paul go? Athens. That's a whole lot like America. What did he see? Idols. 
How did he feel? Broken hearted. What did he do? He engaged with what? The gospel of Jesus Christ that you, if you will repent from your sin, turn from your idols, believe in Jesus who walked out of the grave. You can pass from death to life. You can go from the unknown God to the God you know. That's the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what America needs. I tell you, faith family, we live in a city full of idols. And this place is full of people whose hearts are full of idols. Do you see it? Do you see it? I want you to feel the weight of it. I want you to feel the weight like I felt that night in Amman, Jordan. I want you to feel the real condition around you and in you. I want your spirit to be provoked like Paul's in Athens because of what you see. I want you to see, I want you to feel, I want you to embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ and be on mission. And that starts right now. With a call to prayer. A prayer for our nation. A prayer for our cities. A prayer for our neighborhoods. A prayer for our family members. A prayer for our co-workers. A prayer for our own hearts. So I am calling you right now to a Christian call to prayer. If you can get on your knees, would you? If you can't, that's fine. I'm going to ask our band to come out. And I'm calling all of us right now to bow the knee. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Here, live venue. This is a call to prayer. For the idols in our heart and the idols of our city. God, break our hearts. Help us feel the weight of reality. Stop letting lostness be theory in our minds. And help us feel it in our spirit. You are 
the only one true and living God. And I pray that we would uh, just have a time right now of repentance for the things that we've loved more than you. Thank you, Jesus, that uh, you died for idolaters. Thank you that you offer us the way to true and everlasting life. And I, I pray you'd give us the discernment to see the lies that we see every day. Now I pray, God, that we would just take some time together and pray for our nation, for our families, for our neighborhoods, that they're just they're blind to the spiritual reality that is their life. Oh God, that's where we were, but by your grace. Give us a heart for people. Help us taste the sweetness of the good news of Jesus. That it becomes so sweet and so beautiful. We can't help but talk about it. 